0: of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barrett, And like always, like every day, thank you for being here. And I have one goal. To bring you the best thinkers, the best speakers, the best influencers in all of dentistry to give you some great information so you create a better practice and a better life. And you can expect that from us all the time. And today we will do exactly that. I have my good friend Tom Viola on who is one of the most brilliant educators and he takes a subject like pharmacology, which is something crazy important to your practice. And he discusses the four most important minutes of any dental appointment, and it is awesome. So hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We'll see you soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. I'm so glad you're here and I'm so glad you're showing up because if you've been showing up, you already know this is true. I have the coolest people ever and I get to learn from them and some of them are crazy insightful and very funny and they make this whole education process just way more enjoyable, and I'm going to do exactly that today with a dear friend of ours who's been on for a long time. It's Tom Viola, and he is going to be talking about the single most four important... Wait, wait, hold on. The most... what, what, What are we talking about? The most important four minutes of any appointment ever, 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 and you kind of threw me for a loop there because... I, as you guys already know, I don't even know what I'm talking about half the time because, and I don't really need to because I surround myself with such cool people. But Tom, good to see you, buddy. Thanks for being on. Thank you, buddy, for having me
1: on this podcast. You know, to me, it's always a great pleasure to be here. It's always a privilege and an honor to be able to speak to you and everybody who listens to this podcast. I can't believe this, the enormous success you have, and I wish you no, continued, nothing more. But uh, continued success with this podcast, Kirk. Thank you for allowing me to be part of it. I was one of your first, and uh, I'm looking forward to being on
0: for as long as you want me. Yeah, well, secret's revealed. So if you guys are listening, you ever want to do anything, you don't have to be the smartest person. And the second you meet me, you're going to be underwhelmed because I don't really know anything. And so all you got to do is have smart friends like Tom here. And because you can just throw questions at now, you guys are going to see this guy's wicked smart, wicked smart. And um, he also has, if you haven't had him speak to your study club, I'm just going to say you got to have him out. He is crazy brilliant. Uh, but Tom, you've been on many times. We now have a lot of younger listeners, dental students now that follow. I want people to know who you are before we get started in this very important topic. So who are you? Who is Tom Viola? Well, I am the dental pharmacologist,
1: whatever the heck that means, Kirk. I don't know. people That's what people call me. But to be honest with you, I'm just a pharmacist. They got really lucky to get involved uh, with dentistry uh, and be able to speak and teach on pharmacology. I've been teaching pharmacology to dental hygiene students and dental students now for the past 25 years. I've been speaking uh, probably almost as long, uh, and I enjoy every minute of it. I mean, uh, people say, you know, when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And that's how I feel. I, I, I really enjoy speaking and teaching on pharmacology. And I'll be the first one to tell you, it was not my favorite topic in school. It was not my favorite subject. I luckily pulled a B and thought I, uh, I aced it, you know, because it was such a tough course. And I'll bet a lot of people who listen to this podcast would agree that pharmacology was not their most favorite course. But as I like to say, it's that course that you really
0: wish you remembered now, even though at the time you probably hated it. Right. So. And I'm going to say this about you, too. OK, I've been doing this a long time. This is the most difficult thing in dentistry. I mean, I've been to, again, I mean, I don't know as much as half the people listening here, but This is a difficult subject and it often becomes an incredibly dry subject. So if you've ever been to a pharmacology lecture, you're gonna see half the people are sleeping in the room, you know, and just trying to get their credits in some respects. The other thing I would say, so you make it a lot of fun and it's very entertaining and it's spot on. I mean, even your humor, I'm like, that is really funny. So it's clever, it's insightful, it's specific. The other thing I would say is a pharmacology is a moving target. I thought PPOs was a moving target and it is, but I don't know if there's a bigger moving target in the world right now than pharmacology. Would you? Like you couldn't even go on one of these and go, I know everything for sure right now. Here it is because it's going to change next week or next month. Would you agree?
1: So true, Kirk. If I didn't do this every day for a living. Even I sometimes get caught off guard. If I didn't do this every day for a living, I'd never be able to keep up. So I don't know how, and I've often said this to my audiences, how do dental professionals know everything they know about dentistry and at the same time, keep everything they're supposed to know about pharmacology all in their head? I don't think there's enough room there. I don't think anybody has enough room up there to keep everything in their head. So pharmacology, like other courses, seems to kind of fall to the wayside. But as you just pointed out, It's a moving target, yes, but your patients have never been more medically complex than they are today. People take more drugs today, more medications today, more substances today, so they're ever more complex, and that means you've got to be an expert in pharmacology, even if it wasn't, like I said, your favorite subject, or even if it's not top priority on on your list of everyday things, it has to be because you've got to maintain uh, the patient's oral health, but they're also their systemic health at the same time.
0: Right. And I'll just add one more layer of this complexity is you don't really know what you're dealing with when you're dealing with a patient. You know, every dentist I said, you know, now when you look at the list of these medications, that it goes on and on and on. And I have to believe it's a lot like me going to the doctor for my physical when he says, how many drinks do you have in a week? And one to two a week. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. Because, you know, they're not going to tell you the whole truth. I would imagine a lot of patients leave out a lot of information or they don't even know the information. So as a dentist, you're doing the best you can. And that's why we're going to be talking about this topic. But it's a, you know, dentist like predictability. And what I'm introducing is there's not a super high level of predictability around this subject, who we treat, what we know what we're dealing with. Right.
1: Well, as I've often said, the greatest blessing ever bestowed upon dentistry was that you could take the patient's medical history directly from the patient. They're sitting right in your chair. They're right there in front of you. But the greatest curse ever inflicted upon dentistry was that you could take the patient's medical history directly from the patient themselves because they're not their own best reporter of their own medical history. And if if they don't know, you won't know. If they don't want you to know, you're not going to know. So at the end of the day, you're right. It's, it's less predictability because you just don't know what the patient's going to offer up. And that's why it's so important to be a sleuth, to be able to read a medical history and read between the lines and know what questions you need to ask the patient to get all of the information,
0: not just necessarily the information they know or want you to know. Yeah. Now I'm going to tell you, this is going to be so much fun, but I'm going to tell you, as you listen to Tom, you're going to want to take notes because he gives you a systematic approach to, you know, when it comes to these things, even you'll see this as you're listening, but you're going to go, that makes so much sense because you've been there. You understand these things, but I, let's go to this place first. I want you to talk about, the most important four minutes of any appointment. What is it and why? Let's start there.
1: I talk about this all the time, Kirk. When I do my live presentations, when I do uh, presentations for study clubs, national meetings, wherever I'm speaking, I always ask the audience when it comes to medical histories, how long do you have? How many minutes would you say on average you have to look at a medical history, make determinations and make decisions that can be, you know, life-altering, maybe even life-threatening decisions. How many minutes do you have to look at that medical history and make the decisions that are going to impact that patient's oral and systemic health per appointment? And almost every time the average comes out to be about four minutes. So that's why when you and I started this podcast, I'm liking the title, the most important four minutes of any dental appointment are the four minutes you take to look at that medical history. Now, I'm going to tell you, Kirk, some people listening right now are saying, I don't even have four minutes. (laughs) I know. And some are saying, well, I take a little longer than that. That's great. But on average, it's four minutes. So you got to make those four minutes count. Can you read the medical history? Can you get the information you need? And can you get on with the appointment? Because the next appointment is right around the corner.
0: Right, right. Okay, so let's start with the first one. I don't have any time for this, Tom. You know, I mean... And and I think I know the answer to this. Anybody who's really good at anything, they make time. They have a system for time in this. And so um, you get to deal with professionals at all levels. What happens if I'm the young dentist listening or even the mature dentist who's like, I can't even get through my day. I look at my day and I'm like taking deep breaths as it is. What if I don't have time for this? What do I do, Tom?
1: Well, cook. remember that, you know, a lot of people who listen to these podcasts listen to, you know, talking heads like me and they say, "Ah, oh, yeah, that's pie in the sky. That doesn't really matter in the real world. I, I can't get that done in my life. And I give them a lot of credit for saying so because they know their limitations. But as you said, you gotta make the time. And it's important. Some things are important, some things aren't. This is important. This is gonna make or break your day. It's gonna make or break your patients' trust in you. It's gonna make or break, you know, your career perhaps. You've gotta be able to make the time to take a look at that medical history. Now, if you don't have the time and you can't make it yourself, then delegate. You've got a valuable resource in your hygienist. If you have a hygienist in your practice, that hygienist, I'm telling you, if that person took pharmacology and they they listened and learned, then that's that's your person you want to take a medical history. Maybe it's your assistant, maybe your assistant has that kind of background. Maybe they have some kind of nursing background, medical background, or maybe you just train them that you know you're delegating this to them and they need to ask these questions. To get that great medical history but whatever you need to do you need someone in the office to be that lead person to be able to take the medical history ask the right questions get the right information and the bottom line is the working in a dental office is like an island i've said this many times you work in your office every day you're isolated from other offices unless you get a chance to meet up with your buddies at a a study club or a national meeting you're you're isolated The, the the collective knowledge of pharmacology in that office really revolves around the one person who's most knowledgeable about pharmacology in that office. Now, maybe you, the dentist, it might be you, the hygienist or the assistant, but it's somebody. Make that person your lead in getting that medical history.
0: Yeah, 100%. The more eyes you have on things. And I would also think that there are many cases in which patients are more vulnerable with team members than they are the head honcho. Would you agree?
1: I couldn't agree more. You know, I've often said this, uh, especially for patients, for example, who take medications that can cause uh, suicidal ideation. Uh, A lot of times, if they've gotten thoughts of suicide, they may not tell their clergy person, they may not tell their medical doctor, their nurse practitioner, but they might tell somebody who's easy to talk to, who listens to them, and who's actually generally generally, uh, concerned about them. And that's usually their dental professional. You know, I, I feel more comfortable telling things to my dentist or hygienist, let's say, than I and I do talking to anybody else about that. So I've often said, be the bartender. You know, I'm through college. I made my way through college being a bartender. And I can tell you, one thing you learn as a bartender is you learn how to listen and you learn how to speak. And that's what I offer up to you guys. You know, listen, right? Listen to your patient. Listen to what they say. Then put that information in your head and make some good decisions about what they said. And then ask the questions. Give them the numbers they need. Give them the advice they need. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're here for. We're here to treat our patients and we're here to you know, save lives. Again, I, I say this and people say, oh yeah, pie in the sky. I don't save lives, Bella, but you do. Yeah. You just don't know it. Patients make bad choices. Take it from the pharmacist, okay? Your patients make bad choices, not because they're not smart. They just make bad choices. Save them from themselves.
0: I totally agree. It's funny that you were a bartender. I was too. Probably not at a nice bar like you worked at, but oh, like no. there were t- being a bartender, you hear too many things that's like, I didn't need to know that. Mm, yeah. It's funny how you just get you get a set, extra set of eyes and ears on things. I really like that. That's a great thought. Great way to put your mind, you know, in the right place when it comes to serving patients. Just be a great listener. Now, take me through this four minutes of time, Tom. If I'm listening and I want to restructure my four minutes and get my entire team refocused around doing this right, where do we start?
1: First thing I'd like to recommend is that you have a medical history form the patient can fill out in advance. A lot of offices do. They have them online now. Get a lot of that done in advance and out of the way so that doesn't waste any of your four minutes, okay, so that when you walk in that operatory, you've got a relatively complete medical history or at least as much of the medical history the patient can or is willing to give you. Now, if you can't do it online, then then maybe work, work your workflow so that you can delegate that to someone who can visit with the patient before you. Typically, that's the assistant. Sometimes it's a hygienist, but get them to do that information intake for you so that when you walk in, if you're the dentist or the hygienist, when you walk in, you've got a lot of that information already down. Now, pick it apart. Start with first things first, whatever medical conditions they listed, okay? Because as I've said many times, you have to be an expert in walking down two sides of a very narrow street. You have to be able to know what medications you're going to use and practice that day and every implication they have because that could impact the patient's systemic health. But at the same time, you've got to be an expert in every medication the patient takes for their systemic diseases because that might impact their dental appointment or their dental treatment that day. And you got to walk down the middle of the street because down the middle of the street is cannabis. And you got to be an expert in marijuana too. So you've got to be able to know all these things, and the only way you're going to be able to collate all that information is first know what the disease states are. Now, people will list what's wrong with them, if they know it. But if they don't know it, at least you've got a start. The next thing you must do is look at their medications. And the reason for that is because, as I said, maybe people don't want to tell you everything that's wrong with them. Maybe they don't know, maybe they're embarrassed, whatever the situation is. But I've often said, if you have a good list of medications, an accurate list of their medications, and a working knowledge of pharmacology, that's all you need. You put those two things together, and that equals the complete medical history. If you know what drugs people take, and, and you know you know why people would take those drugs, what conditions they're treating, you know all the conditions. So now you can fill in the blanks, OK? They're taking this drug, but you know they didn't mention they had this disease. Why not? And that's when you start building the question list,
0: OK? Yeah. And so now, let me go back to the the medications, too. You know, medications have multiple um names, too. they yes. I mean, sometimes, and it's becoming more and more complex. It's amazing how one medication has three different unique names that don't even look similar, right? Yes. yep.
1: I teach this to my students all the time because I teach pharmacology in the summers and we often go over this to three names every drug has. Every drug is a chemical, so it has a chemical name. Every drug that's been approved by the U.S. FDA has a generic name that's been assigned by the U.S. government. And then every drug has a brand name that it's sold under. And sometimes those three names don't have anything to do with each other. Sometimes they do it, but you got to get lucky. Now, I will tell you some secrets here. Number one, a lot of drugs that are related end in the same last few letters. So uh, drugs that end in PRIL, for example, P-R-I-L, and that would be like Ramipril, Lisinopril, and Enalapril they're all ACE inhibitors. So once you get the idea that everything that ends in a prill is an ACE inhibitor, then if prill gets introduced next year, not that it's ever going to, <laughs> uh, then you'll know it's an ACE inhibitor, right? So statins, okay? Every statin is a cholesterol medication except for a nice statin, of course. And, and the list goes on and on. Every O-L-O-L is a beta blocker. And so when you come to my courses, that's when I try to imbibe to you like, okay, these are some shortcuts you can take to knowing what a drug does and therefore knowing what to choose to treat and therefore asking the patient, well, why didn't you list this disease on your medical history when you, I'm, I know you're taking this drug and that's what this drug is used to treat. So you fill in the blanks that way. But remember also that, you know, 25 years ago, Kirk, when I first started filling out medical histories for patients, at the bottom of the form where they would write in the names of the medications, There'd be space down there for five medications, tops, and most people would fill in only three. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have cardiovascular disease alone, that's three or four medications. Then add on diabetes, right? That's another three medications or so. And then add on GI, respiratory, central nervous system. I can go on and on, but every systemic disease has its medications. Heck, you can have patients taking eight to 10 medications without even really thinking about it. Yeah. And then if they're taking, you know, supplements, if they're using cannabis, all that, as you said, adds to the complexity.
0: Yeah. And I I think I'd go back to the beginning. Like if you're really, truly trying to be the bartender or just learning about your patients, that mindset goes a long way. And I think I shared this with one of my favorite treatment coordinators. She often doesn't know what any of these are, but she'll spend an extra few minutes just Googling them just to know, you know, because she said at one point, she's like, I just used to look at these and I would just skim over them and go, wow, that just sounds, now I want to know because I care. And it also allows a little space for me to just ask them. Now, they don't have to tell me all the time, but I want them to know at the bottom, the end of the day, we care here at the at the office. And what I love about what you're teaching, too, is you're going to take us through this process, but just the quality of your questions, Tom, and what you teach. Anyone can use these in this process. And just by the fact that you use what Thomas is recommending is gonna show that your office is different. You guys care about your patients. You don't need to know everything, but you do need to start with like, let's start here with the mindset and the questions, right? So now that I've got my medical you know, history for, I get them filling out, we're familiar with the medical conditions and the space for the medications has grown. Where do I go with this in these four minutes? Well, that's it. So now, of course, remember that,
1: as you said, and so aptly put, Kurt, I mean, medications can be used for a variety of different things. So whenever I take a medical history and I'm trying to get the list of medications from the patient, I often ask the same three questions. And I ask them over and over again, ad nauseum until they're ready to vomit. Okay. I ask them, what do you take? I don't say the word drug. I don't say the word medication. I say, what do you take? And let them tell me everything. But then realizing that drugs can be used for different things, the next question I ask them is, why do you take them? Why do you take this medication? Now, my students say, well, why do I need to know that? They think I should know that. I'm I'm the professional. But you don't know. Mm -hmm. A drug like amlodipine, which is a calcium channel blocker, could be used for everything from arrhythmia to angina to hypertension. I have no idea why you're taking it, so you have to tell me. But when I ask you, why do you take it, that helps reinforce the conditions you listen to. At, at the medical history level. Like, what did you say you have? What's What are your systemic conditions? And then the last question I ask him is the obvious one, but no one seems to ask it every time, which is what? Did you, did you take it today? Did you take your medication today? Because I know a lot of people who take blood pressure medications that don't take blood pressure medications.
0: Yeah, it was a month ago when I took it you know, or something like that. No, those are really good. And I, I love how you, now let's go through each one of them. Did you, you know, what do you take? You, you make it kind of fun. Go back to that. Cause I've heard you teach this before. Like, it's not like a, you know, it's, it's not abrasive at all. You want to open it up and you kind of make it a little fun, right? Do I say, what do you
1: take? And they say, what do you mean? What do you take? And I say, do you take stuff? And they say, well, yeah. And I say well, what is it? In my own New York way, you know, I, I give them a little anxiety there, but they, they, we start chuckling because we realize, I just want to know what you're taking. Just tell me everything. You don't have to tell me it's, you know, it's this medication. I don't remember the name. Just spit it out. If it even sounds like the name of the drug, I'll just write it down or I'll just put it in the system and I'll be able to Google it. I'll be able to look it up. Well, heck, I'll even call your pharmacy if you want and I'll get the list of medications that you take currently. And that that's all I need. But what do you take is a very, you know, non- abrasive way of asking you know people what medications do you take without making it so formal. And I, and I want to know everything. If I say the word medication, people think it's that little bottle I get from the pharmacist. No, I want to know everything. just You just spit it out and I'll I'll write it down. And then why do you take it? Because, again, I got to know why you take it. But it also, Kirk, and this is a good point, I'm glad you brought it up, I want buy-in. I want to know why the patient takes the medication because I want to know if they know why they take it. Right. Because otherwise, oh, yeah, sometimes I take that for my hypertension. Sometimes, you know, it's not it's not a it's not a thing you can take as needed. And Mm -hmm. and that helps me jog them into saying, you know, really, you should be taking this every day or, you know, uh, really, uh, this medication should be taken this way. It's little pearls like that that you give your patient that, believe me, add to the value of the dental experience because they walk out like I didn't just learn about my teeth today. I learned about my medical conditions. I learned about my drugs. Wow, I learned a lot today.
0: That's a value that's going to keep that patient coming back to see you. Yeah, the number two question is always fascinating for a couple of reasons. Number one, patients have this story in their head sometimes. And, I, you know, this isn't every physician, but a lot of physicians are quick to write a script just based on a conversation. And, you know, before you know it, you're taking a medication on based on a story that you're telling yourself. The other thing that we see often is patients get information from the wrong places social media. I am fascinated by the number of people that cite YouTube as a reference. I'm like, where did you hear that? And they're like, I saw a YouTube video. And I'm like, can you find it? And they're like, I saw it somewhere that this thing does this. And I'm like, you're citing YouTube. So um, again, you don't have to have all the answers, but you're going to be completely fascinated by the why in, in, uh, in a lot of cases.
1: Yeah. As I said, uh, we love them, but sometimes our patients make poor choices and we're there to save them from themselves because they're not medical experts. They're not dental experts. We are the medical and dental experts. So let's act like it. Let's do what we do. I'll give you a good example. This one comes up a lot. Blood pressures. Like if you're not taking the patient's blood pressure and pulse, you're missing a vital sign. That's why they call them vital signs. You're missing something vital that you need to be able to make good decisions whether or not you're going to treat the patient, whether or not they're taking the medications the way they're supposed to. If you're not taking their blood pressure and pulse, then you're missing out on a lot. I I know people are listening and say, I don't have time for that. I know. I I completely empathize with you, but make the time. Delegate it. Train someone to do it. Or get a cuff, wrist cuff, arm cuff, automate it. I'd rather have a wrist cuff that may not be 100% accurate. Versus uh, nothing in the chart every day, every day of the week. I mean, I could tell you after 30 years of taking uh, blood pressures with sphygmomanometers and uh, stethoscopes myself, I suck. So yeah. I'd be better off with a cuff, to be honest with
0: you. Yeah, and can I ask you this too? Just even the questions. I mean, what are you on right now? No, I don't know how many states allow cannabis legally right now. I mean, it's quite a few. But tell me if you're hearing this. Our doctors in Denver. Uh, some of them who are excellent docs, they ask this question, you know, are you under the influence of cannabis right now while they're in there? Because they know just how the patients answer this question. I mean, have you heard that at all or things like that? Yeah, yeah there, there, look, I will tell you, when it comes to cannabis,
1: a lot of, of our patients use cannabis to take the edge off. You know, as I said, fear is the is the greatest enemy we have in dentistry. People fear us. Because why? Everyone in their life has told them, "Oh, you're going to the dentist, you're going to be in pain. And then they get there, you cause them pain and you fulfill the prophecy. So they know dentistry equals pain. So if they take a dose of cannabis, if they, you know, they're taking the edge off, but it it leads to medical, ethical and legal considerations. Okay, medical meaning what? Does cannabis interact with drugs? Yeah. Drugs we use in dentistry. For example, cannabis raises your blood pressure and pulse. We use epinephrine every day in practice, that raises your blood pressure and pulse too. Uh, we use opioids in practice, okay? Opioids cause central nervous system and respiratory depression. Now, so does cannabis, okay? So I can make the argument that there's medical implications. Then there's ethical considerations as in what? As in, okay, if the patient's under the influence of cannabis, can they give you informed consent? Mm-hmm. Can they... Can they can you agree to a treatment program? Would you want to work on them if they're not 100 percent aware of what's happening to them and around them? And then the legal considerations are sometimes where the cannabis users and, you know, uh, dentistry is rife with, you know, uh, repetitive motion injuries and, and maybe cannabis treats your pain. So you, you start using cannabis, you feel great, you go back to work. But does that open you up to a malpractice if you make a mistake? So cannabis has an added layer of complexity beyond just what we talk about with medications. And yet you've got to be an expert in that too.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to the four minutes. So once I start asking these questions, um, let's say I'm a team member, you know, getting this information, kind of give us a little bit more clarity on how am I going to use these four minutes? And I would imagine just like any system, you're going to improve it over time. Um, So where do I go after that? So it's, it's
1: medical conditions first to get the, 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 the skeleton, right? The framework, right? Then you're gonna ask about the medications because the medications will help you fill in that framework with other questions you might ask because they might be using medications to treat diseases that they didn't mention in the beginning, okay? Then after you've got the medical history down halfway, the next thing is to ask about what? What kind of substances do they use? And just blurt it out that you're not the police you know, you got to encourage them to say, I'm not the police. I'm not here to to, report you in any way. I just want to know, I need to know this to make sure that there aren't any complications with what I might use when I'm doing our appointment today. So you just lay it out there like that. Ask them about alcohol, cannabis, other substances, street drugs, whatever they use, right? Ask them about that. Then now you've got that extra component filled in. The only other thing I do now is circle back, to the medications real quick and say, do you use anything over the counter? Do you use any supplements? The reason I do that is because when I'm asking patients, you know, what do you take and why do you take it? They still think I'm talking about medications and they don't consider over-the-counter drugs like Nexium and, and Prilosec or, or substances like, you know, cannabis as or as a thing to talk about, or they don't think of a supplement like St. John's wort as something to talk about, because they don't need a prescription for that. They don't even get it at a pharmacy. They go to buy it at like, you know, a supermarket. So I tie that back in to make sure that I get every possible medication and other substance and supplement they're taking. And then as crazy as this sounds, Kirk, the last thing I ask them is, why are you here today? Wow. I, I want to get it from them. What What's going on? Tell me. I know that when you booked your appointment, you told us what was happening, but really today, what's going on? And that gives me a bird's eye view back now as to, okay, they said they have a dry mouth. Well, what medications do they take to cause dry mouth? They said they have jaw pain. Okay, jaw pain could be what? It could be odontogenic pain. It could be a a side effect of their statin medication because statins cause muscle pain. Heck, it could be angina. Now, think about that last one for a minute, right? If a patient walks in the office and says, man, my jaw's killing me. We're almost pre-programmed to do what? Sit them down, take some x-rays and start working, right? Did we even make five seconds in our head to think Wait, that might be angina? Maybe we could have a medical emergency here, right? So it, that's the kind of thing from a medical history, you can garner so much information that you can make those four minutes really count. And, and sometimes it means not treating the patient.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What are what do most people get wrong about these 4 minutes? You teach people this all over the place. You see them implement it, and what do you see them still get wrong about this? Cuz
1: dental people are so nice. And I count myself among you guys. I don't I'm not saying I'm you dental people. I'm one of you. We're very nice to our patients. We try to be. And sometimes we let them lead the conversation, and we can't let that happen. Right. We have to lead the conversation cuz it's our 4 minutes. So we have to lead the conversation, sometimes butt in, sometimes interrupt, sometimes interject to get everything we need in that four minutes, because if we let the conversation go too far and too awry from what we're talking about, now we've wasted time, we feel in a rush, we don't complete the medical history, and we rush in and try to get it done. And, and that's, we, we can't let that happen. Much as we love our patients, much as we want to be polite, we've got to make sure we get everything down. And that means if I, if I need extra minutes beyond the four minutes, hopefully I've saved some minutes aside for that. Or hopefully the person I've delegated the medical history to has done such a good and complete job that I don't need to spend all four minutes doing exactly what I've been talking about.
0: Yeah. And it's brilliant. We always, you know, we've always heard this and everybody teaches whoever's asking the question is controlling the process. Now this That's isn't true. about being a control freak, but you can see, you can guide the experience by asking questions and time, what you're teaching is so fantastic. One of the other complications is just the transformation to, you know, digital records. Anything you would say like about documenting all of this, you know, because I have every office now has gone digital, but yet you still have people writing on paper and then putting the prescriptions. Anything you'd add about how we document these four minutes that would make our lives a little bit easier?
1: I will tell you some of the shortcomings I've seen from electronic systems is they don't necessarily allow a lot of space for free notes. Where I think paper was wonderful was that you could always make extra notes in the margins and the columns, wherever you needed to, to help the next person who's going to see that patient get a better understanding of that patient. It's all about communicating into the future, really. Now, electronic records don't necessarily allow for that. Some do, some uh, electronic systems do, freeform. The point is, you got to document everything. Even the things you don't think are important, you got to document everything that went on in that conversation to the best of your ability. And I'm going to go one step farther, Cook, and I know a lot of people are going to probably chuckle about this, and it's okay, you know. I still insist on an ASA for every patient. Now, ASA is something if I went out, you know, in school. Like, you don't do it anymore. No one does ASAs. But but remember that the ASA is was never designed as a risk management tool. We turned it into one. You know, we use it as a, a, a tool to determine if this patient's suitable for treatment or not. Okay, here's the thing. If you don't document the ASA, then you really can't say later on, whether it's a week or month or three years later under cross-examination from some plaintiff's attorney, you know, what was the patient's suitability for treatment on that day? You have to try, and I I know this because I serve as an expert witness quite often, you're gonna try to convince anyone in that courtroom that you can remember that patient on that day, three years ago, when you've seen a thousand patients since, it's not gonna happen. So right. documentation is critical. Vitals are, uncritical, are critical. And ASA, as, as silly as it sounds, it takes 30 seconds to document what your perception of that patient was. Write it down. Hey, if you were wrong, you were wrong, but at least you took the time to write it down. And at least now you can look back at your notes and say, well, that's why I made that decision. And that's why I asked this question because that's what matters. Heck, if I, I'm telling you, Kirk, if I can get someone to record those four minutes for me. And, 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 you know, and medical offices have this now they actually have transcriptionists that come with them into the, into the room with the patient. And their whole job is to just transcribe everything that's said. Let me tell you, that would be the best thing ever because you get a, a wealth of information from the things that you hear and some of the things that you don't hear when you're formulating a question in your head as the next question asked the patient.
0: Mm-hmm. How far away are we from that? I don't know. I yeah. was say, you, I have no idea, you know, very, dentists, far. very far. Yeah. Dentists are always like robots are going to take over. I'm like, not so soon, you know? So yeah. there's still a huge people component in here. So Tom, just so brilliant. Any last thoughts you have on the the, the single most important four minutes on any appointment?
1: I can tell you this much, Um uh, Everyone listening right now is saying, man, I wish I had the time. I wish I had the time. I wish I had the time. Make the time. It's not all pie in the sky. You can do this, right? Maybe you can't record every minute of everything that's been said, but do the best you can because those four minutes really count. Heck, you know what what to do in your dental operatory doing procedures. You do these procedures all day long. Some of you could probably do it with your eyes closed. But the first four minutes taking that medical history is a moving target. As you said, Cook. you'll never know what to expect in those first four minutes. So make the time. And that way you can say later on, I did the very best I could with that patient based on the information I was able to get at that moment. Yeah, buddy, you're the
0: best. You are just the best. And I'm going to keep having you back over and over again because this is a moving target. I love hanging out with you and you always give us great, great things to consider. Now, I want people that are listening. You know, if I'm a dentist, listen, I'm like, Tom, this is a lot. You know, I want them to know about your programs. Um, If I have a study club, I want to get you out to speak, which I'm telling you guys, it is phenomenal. And I've seen him do it and it is funny. It is engaging. It is super helpful. But you also have some great support stuff that you do. So can you tell us about that?
1: Absolutely, but I'll never forget you, seeing you at, at the ADA SmileCon last year. I had that that audience, that huge audience, in front of me while I was presenting on stage, and I'm seeing you in the background. Like Kirk, can you hear me out there? <laughs> because it, it it was it's a great feeling to present in front of a live audience. I missed it so much during yeah. uh, 2020 uh, and 20 early 2021. If if anybody wants to hear me speak feel free to go to my website. I don't have a creative bone in my body, so my website's the easiest one ever. It's TomViola.com. You can't miss it, right? Uh, I, I pop up pretty early in the Google search because who else would put their name as their website, right? But but by all means, find me as tombiola.com And I've got plenty of resources there for you. I've got podcasts that I've recorded. I've got fast facts that I've recorded, you know, three-minute four-minute sound bites of, of pharmacology tidbits you can take with you every day. I've got uh, my blog that I write that includes current topics. Heck, and you could take continuing education courses on my website for credits because I'm a provider of uh, AGD PACE credits. So you can do a lot on my website. And, and don't forget to, to click on the contact, Tom, and book me to come speak to your at your meetings. I'd love to come and impart all the pharmacology knowledge I can to you and your audiences send me out i i I'm, I'm, i would love to to be able to do that for you and and visit me on social media i do my best in social media i'm not an expert my my 24 year old daughter is way more uh, an expert than i am but you know visit me everywhere on social media at pharmacology declassified people say I me mean, why do you have to have such a long name because that's the name of the company pharmacology declassified right. but i enjoy doing it you know so please by all means uh, have people uh, out there listen and and bring your team members along as well
0: Yeah, your stuff is excellent. And don't, you know, don't skirt these. Your social media is excellent. It's funny. It's good. It's awesome. So I don't know what you're doing, but it's fantastic. And just keep it up. So thank you so much for being on today, buddy. Really, really appreciate you. So if you guys are listening, and if you're listening on, uh, you know, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, whatever. Don't worry. We've got it all listed in the show notes. So if you're like, okay, what is he talking about? Just roll up to the notes. You can click on the links. Our writers are going to put that in there. They'll go right to Tom's website, right to his Instagram handle, which I'm going to ask you just to follow. And it's just an awesome resource uh, for you in dentistry. So Stick around when we say goodbye to everybody else, Tom, but thank you guys for listening to the Best Practices Show. If you enjoyed today, just do us a favor, hit the share button, share it with your friends. Keep sending us things that you guys want to see. I'm lining it up right now. And other things you want to see, even on pharmacology, or if you just want to talk, period, about funny stuff going on in dentistry, Viola would be our guy because he's got story after story after story, and I'll put it together because I love doing this stuff. And
1: (laughs) absolutely, oh, dude, you're. You're an amazing human being, Kirk Barrett. Yeah, everybody
0: should know that. Listen to Kirk speak. He makes me look stupid. Stop, stop, (laughs) stop, stop. stop. It's all good. It's all good. But uh, until we see you guys next time or you hear from us next time, keep watching or listening to the best practices show. You guys enjoy your day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up.